Our scripture reading today will be from Psalms 85, 10-13. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and the righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Good morning. I also want to say thanks for your encouraging words uh, about this series of lessons that we are studying about following Jesus. Um, last month, as we were uh, getting some feedback on the home Bible study groups, the, the questions, the discussions, uh, rich uh, and good, and, and I appreciate that. Um, I think this study of, of following Jesus is um, hitting a nerve. Is that the right way to say it? Uh, it's challenging. This is where the rubber meets the road. And, and this study is really what it's all about. I mentioned early on, uh, back in August when we launched this, that I'm uh, am reading, have read several different books, putting all this together. Uh, uh, one book that I've read and used uh, quite a bit, it's challenged me, it's called Not a Fan uh, by Kyle Adelman. And, and he talks about, and you've heard me use this phrase about, are you a fan or are you a follower? And that's what we're kind of differentiating, trying to define our terms. And, and what did Jesus mean when he said, uh, follow me? But... Um, the idea of being a fan, we understand that, especially if you think about sports, because we like to be a fan of a team, especially a team that's winning. You know, we, we cheer for the team, we want them to do well, we want them to win the trophies, we want to hang the banner, and, and all is good. But when things don't go so well, uh, it's harder to be a fan. Isn't that right? I mean, when they're losing, isn't it the truth that we don't buy as much gear? And even the gear we've got, we don't wear it as much. Uh, we don't are as eager to pay the money for the tickets or, or make the trip because if they're not doing well, well, it's kind of hard. Well, that's what it means to be a, a sports fan, kind of being on the fan wagon. And really, it's a test of commitment. The question again, are you a fan or are you a follower? Or another way of looking at that is, think about being a fan of Jesus. What happens, or ask it this way, when God is not holding His end up? What happens? You know, if you have uh, employment, a good job, making ends meet, if you are um, doing well at home with your relationships, maybe you're married with your kids, with your family, good friends, if you have your health, then yeah, I'm a fan. Life is good, we might say. We might even say, God is good. And, and it's easy to believe in Jesus. You're cheering for Him. But the commitment is tested when things get rough. When there's financial trouble, maybe you lose a job, maybe there's some relationship issues, maybe there, you've got a child who's, well, we just want to, want to talk about it. You're not sure about your marriage. The doctor gives you a report that you were not hoping for, not praying for. Things are really bad. What we can find out during that time is we're more of a fan of Jesus than a follower. See, what would happen, and we've seen this several times, is when Jesus was in His ministry, teaching, healing, uh, feeding people, doing His miracles, just trying to reveal a little bit about who He was, enough that they could grasp it, not too much, that it would be too much for them. But then He would say moments and statements to test them, to test their commitment. Say things like Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to Me 
and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And we know a disciple is just another word for follower. Jesus drew the line in that verse. Here's the line. Family's on this side, Jesus on the other side, and he's asking you, where are you? Which side of the line are you on? Are you a fan or a follower? There's another time where there's a large crowd following Jesus. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He was giving out food, took a little bread, a little fish, fed thousands of people. They loved it. I mean, how could you not love somebody who could do something like that? Enjoy a free meal? This one who said he was Jesus? But in John 6.53, he said this, after eating, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And you keep reading in that chapter, they hear these words, and the crowds disperse. They leave. That's not what they wanted to hear. Because really what Jesus is doing is He's, he's asking the question, really, are you a fan or are you a follower? And see, the, the question that comes from this to me is, how do I know if I'm really following Jesus? You know, we can just say, well, I'm a follower, but, but how do we know that? How do I know if I'm a follower of Jesus? Well, I think it's when your commitment is tested. Uh, another verse in Luke 14, 33, Jesus defines this type of commitment that he's looking for. And it's, it's rather all-inclusive. Look what he says. Any of you who does not give up everything he has, everything he has, cannot be my disciple. Everything. That's a lot, Jesus. That's what he says here. Anyone who does not give up everything he has, that's how you know if you're committed. So the question there is, is there something you're holding back? Or are you giving everything? A couple of months ago, we talked about the DTR in a relationship, the define the relationship, the idea of like, where are we? Are we just friends? Are we going to go to the next level? And that's what Jesus does multiple times here. Kind of defines the relationship. And the word we're talking about here over and over again is, is this commitment. What we're doing in Luke 9.23 is letting that be our text. We're focusing on a few phrases. Luke's Gospel records it. It's also in Matthew. It's also in Mark. But here is what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. That's what we talked about last month, remember? And we use the word completely. Completely devoted. He begins with denying self. You don't even look in the direction of yourself. That completely all-in surrender. And the phrase we want to study today, for our lesson this morning and our discussions tonight, and really for the next month, I want us to resonate on that next phrase. Take up your cross daily. And the word is this, committed. Committed. Write that word down. Let that be the word that just sinks in. Take up your cross daily. That's the word we want to focus on. If you listen to that phrase, maybe because we're familiar with it, take up your cross daily. It almost sounds poetic, doesn't it? Take up your cross daily. But I guarantee you, the first century listeners who heard these words straight from Jesus' mouth, there was nothing poetic about it. Because when you mention the cross, see, to us, the cross is something beautiful. The cross is a piece of jewelry that's made out of fine metal and you wear because it reminds you of something that's beautiful. Or maybe it's something you put on a building or, or maybe a piece of art because it reminds you of something beautiful. 
or in this culture at this time, when you said the word cross, what that, that was an instrument of death. That's what that meant. So there was nothing beautiful. There was nothing sweet. There's no warm and fuzzy with this statement at all. See, we live in a different time and culture. But in that time, what he says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. What the people knew what that meant was sacrifice, suffering, death. You're giving it up. And Jesus says, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Take up your cross daily. What does it mean to take up your cross? I want that to be our study this morning. And i got a couple of things that I want to suggest, and maybe there's others too. But, but first, take up your cross requires obedience. I think we have to start there. And in fact, we started this last month when we were talking about the denying self. But I want you to hone in on that word, take. You take up the cross. This isn't forced on you. This is something you voluntarily decide, yes, I'm in. I take up my cross. It is not being forced. You willfully put it on. But who does that? If you just really listen to what Jesus is saying, let these words, I mean, hear them for the first time. Take up your cross daily. Why would you sign up for that? Why would you say, yep, I I, I want that, I'm in. It makes no sense. You have to stop and think about what is he asking here? Remember our, our last lesson we talked about this. When the people heard the saving news of Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost, those people were convicted in the heart. What, what must we do to be saved? And they were told to repent and be baptized. And that's what they did. They were obedient. And that baptism was a crossing the line. It was a demonstration of their faith. It was a way of saying, I am all in. Not just partially, it's that burial, it's that connection with God, as Paul talked about in Romans 6. You're not just halfway in. They were taking up the cross. Richard Rumbrand said, there are those who believe, and there are those who believe they believe. But I guarantee you, in Acts 2, those who are baptized believe. They were willing. They were obedient. It's an act of obedience. You take up the cross. So it's obedience. But taking up the cross, here's another one. It's suffering. We don't like to talk about this, but we need to talk about this. Because Jesus talked about this. Talk about suffering. You could put it in a slash and add the word sacrifice because it's all in there together. It's impossible to carry a cross without suffering. It's impossible to carry a cross, especially when you take upon yourself without sacrificing, suffering. It seems so clear just in this verse. But let me share another with you. A couple of chapters earlier, Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of me. And then a couple of verses later, verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. See, if everybody speaks well of you, no one excludes you. If you've never been rejected by anyone, if you've never had to ask yourself these questions, am I carrying the cross? See, when I was reading through this study, this, this is hard. May I just say that? I mean, I struggle with this. I mean, I read through this and I think, ask myself, you ask yourself, When's the last time carrying the cross has caused you to suffer? 
to sacrifice. I mean, really. When is the last time it cost you a relationship? Maybe a promotion. When's the last time that following Jesus made, made well, people around you just made their eyes roll? When's the last time that you got a barb set at you because of your faith? Because of your commitment? When's the last time someone mocked you because of your faith? See, if we're not sacrificing, if we're not suffering, see, to me the question is then, am I really taking up my cross? I don't want to just read through this verse and go, okay, what's the next one, Randy? You know, what's the next thing? Let's sing a song about it. Okay, what's for lunch? What's he saying here? What's the message? See, I think living in America, and especially living in the Bible Belt, with all the blessings, and Barry talked about that in, in, in his prayer, but sometimes we can be so blessed that we're sheltered, that we're sort of... Uh, immune, and maybe we just remove ourselves from all of this, but still, shouldn't there still be, maybe not you know, suffering like, like fear of death, but sacrifice? Shouldn't that still be part of it? What we learn from this verse is that carrying a cross always involves sacrifice. That's what it is. Suffering, that's what it is. Do we follow Jesus in such a way that it could be said of us, blessed are you when men insult you and reject you and exclude you because of me. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, you read through the Scriptures, there's all kinds of verses that attach suffering with following Jesus. But we don't usually highlight those. Those are not the ones that we commit to memory. We like the ones about love. We like the ones about grace. We like the ones about comfort. We like the ones that make us feel good. But there's also verses in Scripture that remind us about suffering and sacrifice. That's, well, that's part of it too. Verses like 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to live a life, a godly life in Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. Or Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. So Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Here's the deal. Following Christ involves suffering. It's part of it. Do you think if we really, if we really stress this, especially at the end of our worship and invitation time, all right, who's ready to suffer? Y'all come on down. What would that do? How would that affect us? If there's a willingness to die when you carry the cross. In fact, it's a guarantee it's a part of it. So the question we ask ourselves, am I really carrying the cross if I'm not sacrificing? If it's not cost you anything, if there's no suffering, am I really carrying the cross? What does following Jesus cost you? What have you sacrificed? How have you suffered? If you think you're a follower of Jesus, but there's no sacrifice, there's no suffering, maybe you need to ask that question again. Thomas Akempis put it this way, Jesus has many who love His kingdom in heaven, but few who bear His cross. He has many who desire to comfort, but few who desire suffering. He finds many to share His feast, but few His fasting. All desire to rejoice with Him, but few are willing to suffer for His sake. Many admire His miracles, but few follow Him with the humiliation of the cross. And putting this together, I came across a study 
MSNBC put together, and I thought it was, was humorous. It was a study on a new generation of vegetarians. And they interviewed one lady, 28 years old. Her name was Christy Pugh. And her statement kind of captures this new vegetarian approach. Here's what she said. I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like bacon. Isn't that great? <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, but I like bacon. And that was what the article is about because, well, is she a vegetarian or is she not? You know, it's like, I'm a vegetarian unless there's meat on the menu. You know, and then not so much. And, and so the, the article went on and it talked about this. And so you can imagine some of the, what you might say, true vegetarians don't think much of these new vegetarians. So they came up with a new name for themselves. They call them flexitarians. Have you heard about this? And so they like vegetarian food, but they also like meat. And so they may enjoy the, the vegetables. They love that, that vegetarian uh, diet, but they also like their beef, and their chicken. There was one statement she made, and I thought it just kind of really captured it. I really like vegetarian food, but I'm not 100% committed. She's honest, isn't she? That's the, that's the reality of it. Let's be honest. I really like Jesus, but I don't like to serve poor people. I really like Jesus, but I'm, I don't like giving money that I worked hard for to somebody who doesn't have a job. I really like Jesus, but going to Bible study every week, read my Bible every day, pray without ceasing, seems like it's asking a bit much. I really like Jesus, but you know, there's parts of my life where you know, that's just, you know, you've got to live a little. I really like Jesus, but I'm not, let's be honest, 100% committed. See, it involves sacrifice to take up a cross. That news piece, it had a subtitle, Meat-Eating Vegetarians Transform the Movement. I thought, how apropos. Because I thought to myself, not taking up your cross, it transforms the movement. Totally changes things. Well, here's another point. And I want to camp here for the rest of our time. Taking up your cross demands death daily. It demands death daily. See, again, in that day, in that culture, when you saw somebody carrying a cross, you knew how the story's going to end. You knew what was coming. There's no surprises. It's sort of like, uh, I know. I get it. You understand. And to me, the most challenging part of this passage, this call to commitment in Luke 9.23 is that word daily. It's daily. But in some ways, isn't that what it means to be committed? I mean, if I tell my wife, I am committed to you, but on Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm, not so much. She's like, well, that's not commitment. And everybody would agree that's not commitment. But we do that sometimes with Jesus. Jesus says, die daily. You sacrifice. You live for Him. And He draws a line in the sand. So how's the church in America doing? Let's talk about that for a moment. How is the church in America doing? And I'm going to use that term in the largest sense of the word. Anybody who calls themselves a Christian, okay? Because that's what we're, we're talking about here. 
I want to go through some statistics that would include that whole group. Stick with me on this because I, I, I want to make a point. I want you to get this. One of the books, another one I'm, I'm using is a book called Unchristian. It talks about what does it mean to be a Christian versus those who are not. And it's a lot of uh, some data, some statistics, some survey, and you kind of compare the two. George Barna is a part of that. He interviewed some, some young people, and I say young, ages 16 to 29. Uh, these non-Christians, uh, they, they said that 85% of them, 85% of these young non-Christians know at least one committed Christian. So are you with me? Non-Christians know one committed Christian, but only 15% of them thought that the lifestyle of the committed Christian was significantly different than theirs. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Look on the screen. I want you to see this too. Barna researched the level of commitment in Christianity. Here's what he discovered. Okay? Here's the point. 65% of those young ones, this is 18 to 41, changing the numbers a little bit, young adults you might say, um, they made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important. And if you look at the numbers there, it goes up a little bit for the older ones. 42 and older, 73% made a personal commitment to Jesus that's still important. Now, on the surface, that seems encouraging, right? It's like, wow, those are good numbers. But when they were questioned about the level of the commitment, only 29% of those 18 to 40-year-olds and only 48% of the older ones were absolutely committed. So it's like define your terms. Are you committed or are you not? See, on one hand, on average, you got 70, here's the good news, 70% of these people, they've made a commitment, a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that's important, but half of that number, only half of that number, say I'm absolutely committed to it. Well, what are we talking about when we talk about you know, commitment or to be a Christian or whatever? Here's how they define that. They talk about having a Christian worldview. You've heard that phrase before. Maybe you've studied I hope you have. We talk about that from time to time. From their research, to, to define a Christian, I mean a biblical worldview, you would have to believe eight things. I put these on the screen. Number one, Jesus lived a sinful, sinless life. You have, to, you have to say, I believe that. Number two, God is the all-knowing and all-powerful creator of the universe and still rules today. Number three, salvation is a gift of God. It cannot be earned. Number four, Satan is real. Number five, Christians have a responsibility to share their faith. Number six, the Bible is accurate in all of its principles it teaches. Number seven, unchanging moral truth exists. And eight, such absolute truth is defined by the Bible. Now, church at large, how many people do you think hold that? All eight. I hope you do. I don't know that you do. I hope you do. hope for you it's like, oh, that's a gimme, that's an easy one. Here's where it's disturbing. Of those numbers, those that we surveyed earlier, the young adults, 18 to 41, 3%. 3%. For the older ones, not much better. 9%. Do you see what those numbers are telling us? People who are wearing the name of Jesus are not committed to Jesus. When I officiate a wedding, 
It's such an honor to be asked to be a part of a special moment, and I like to make it special for the couple, so I'll ask them, you know, what about this, what about that, what about the vows, and so we'll talk about that. Sometimes they'll say, I just want the traditional vows. Sometimes they'll write their own, and that's kind of neat to let, you know, let them kind of choose. But imagine if I'm sitting with a couple, and the, the would-be wife would say, well, let's talk about that a little bit. Could we scratch out the part where it says for richer or for poor? I never really liked that. And he said, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And while we're at it, can we take out the part where it says forsaking all others? And then she jumps back in and said, yeah, let's also, let's talk about that sickness and death. Because you never know what's going to happen. That's what we've done, is it not? And I said, we have to talk about you know, church in America, the big picture. It's like, yeah, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. But let me kind of do some editing of the vows a little bit. Jesus says, no. That's not taking up your cross. That's not dying daily. In that same research, and this is what bothered me. And you wonder why is it hard to convert people to Jesus? You wonder why, you wonder why non-Christians don't think highly of Christians? This is it to me. This is, this is why. In that same research, they found that Christians living a morally distinctive lifestyle, they were no different than the non-Christians. No different. In fact, they call it statistically equivalent. Their choices, their moral lifestyle, you couldn't tell the difference. One who was following Jesus, wearing His name, and the one who could care less. When asked to identify their activities over the past 30 days, Christians were just like unchristians, just as likely to gamble, to have visited a pornographic website, to take something that didn't belong to them, to be involved in physical abuse, to be legally drunk, to take something that wasn't, uh, say something that wasn't true, just as likely to say mean things behind the back of someone else, no difference. Think about that. That means if you're in a a room and you've got a, a, a hundred Christians and a hundred non-Christians, you couldn't pick them out by the way they live. hundred people at work, school, wherever it is, just like them. Why is that? Why is that? Think about it. Why is that? Well, you can say, well, they need to be taught. You know? But they, they just don't know better. Really? Is that, is that really the answer? Do they not know that lying is wrong? Do they not know that cheating is wrong? Do they not know that lust is I think they know, don't they? Even non-Christians know those things are wrong. I mean, not stop them. But they'll tell you that to lie is wrong. And to cheat, even on your spouse, is wrong. They know it's wrong. So I don't think it's a matter of, of, of knowledge. And here's the point. Jesus didn't come to earth just to give us a new set of rules to keep. Because we'll never be able to keep all the rules. Part of the confusion and the frustration, what I think keeps so many, way too many Christians defeated, and this reason why is so surprising to many people, four out of five Christians would agree with this statement. Four out of five. Again, big picture Christians, Okay. The Christian life is well described as trying hard to do what God commands. 
The Christian life is well described as trying hard to do what God commands. Four out of five. Are you in the four? Are you that one uh, five that says, no, no, that's not it. You would think if that's how we define being a Christian, then we'd be better at obeying what he commands, right? Isn't that logical? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if I know that I shouldn't be doing certain things, if I know I shouldn't be doing certain things, and obedience, doing what God commands is a part of it. The problem is we define Christianity by keeping a moral code. When you, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we just talk about obedience and that's a part of it? So how do we make sense of all of this? Isn't it based on trying really hard to do what God commands? Well, I would say, and think about this. Maybe we can talk about it tonight in our groups. True, if you're living under the Old Testament. Because that's what was asked of them. That's what was commanded of them. And that would make a lot of sense. It would be accurate. But when Jesus came, He changed all of that. He died for our sins and we're now offered grace through faith. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's how you define your faith. And that's what gives you the power to overcome sin. It gives you the power to live a morally distinctive life. That's why there's a difference in saying that you believe essentially being a follower of Christ, a Christian, is just trying to obey what God commands. See, a fan calls himself a Christian, but they're trying to do what God commands. But they're doing it out of guilt, and they're doing it out of fear, and they'll never be successful. They went to church as a child, and they got the message, you go to church, keep your nose clean, you're good. And that's what some of us have adopted, even as adults, we've never grown past that. We're still infantile, and we've missed the whole point. It's more than just going to church. But that's what they decided what it means. And they do it out of guilt, and they do it out of fear. They do it what everybody else is doing. It's kind of expected of me. But a follower of Jesus is following Him. is taking up the cross daily because they have a relationship. That's why you do it. You've accepted His grace. You've accepted His love. And it makes all the difference. It's not about guilt. Jesus nailed your guilt to the cross. It's not about fear. Perfect love has cast out fear. This is what the Bible tells us. It's about Him dying for you so you can live for Him. And living for Him means you die daily. That's what He's saying here. You take up your cross daily. So the question then becomes this. How do I make that transition? How do I go? How do I make sure I'm not just a fan? Not just going through the motions. Not just doing what I've always been taught. But listen to Jesus' words here in Luke 9.23. And there's your answer. You want to see if you're a follower? You die daily. There's your answer. That's what it means. In the book, Kyle wrote about an email that captured where I think so many of us can get it wrong. A person wrote this, thanks so much for the challenge to go from a fan to a follower. I am trying every day to become a follower of Jesus. He wrote, he said, I appreciated the email. And I understand the spirit in which that email was sent. And I think it's great, but I can tell you that person's going to fail. That person's going to fail. They are still operating from the fan mindset because, as he says, I'm trying every day. 
trying every day, trying every day, and you'll never get it done that way. Because you're doing, you're going to feel like a failure. You never do enough. You're doing it out of guilt. You're doing it out of fear. Trying every day will either turn you into a legalist or it's going to make you quit. He said, if I could change this one word in that email, it would be this. It would change everything. Thank you so much for this challenge to go from fan to follower. I'm dying. I'm dying every day to, come a, to become a follower of Jesus. That's the commitment. That is commitment. That's what he's talking about here. That's the invitation of Jesus. Not you try daily. You die daily. You get up every day. And that's your prayer. That's it. It's not me, God. It's you. I've got the whole day ahead of me. I've got things to do with family. I've got things to do with work. I've got all these responsibilities. I've got chores. I've got people counting on me. But number one, I die daily. And when you do that, I'm not saying it's easy, people. I'm saying it's simple. When you die daily, that's it. It's not me. It's not these books I'm reading. This is Scripture, people. It's what Jesus said. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.31. This is Paul's words. I die every day. I die every day. I give it all to Him. All of it. Does it mean you won't struggle? You are going to struggle. Does it mean you won't stumble? Because you will stumble. But what it means is every day, that's your prayer. That's your mindset. That's your heart. That's your goal. And when you do that, then the life will follow. The obedience will follow. Your distinctive life will follow. But it's not because you're a rule keeper. It's because you're died to the Lord. I think there are a lot of Christians, my opinion, and I may be wrong, but I think there are a lot of Christians in America and maybe even Christians in this building who have believed in Jesus. They've made a decision for Jesus, but they've never committed to Jesus. And there's a difference. The difference between making a decision for Jesus and really committing. And that's the challenge. The word is commitment. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord reign throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Listen to that. The eyes of the Lord reign throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. So God wants to know. That was the message of Jesus. Who's committed? Let's pray. Lord, we know that right now, in this room, there are people whose commitment is being tested. Maybe because of some financial struggles. Maybe there's some relationship issues or, or health problems, but their commitment is being tested. They're wondering where you are and if your word is true and why you haven't come through for them. 
there are some who've come here today alone. Maybe they left a husband or a wife or others at the house. And Lord, they're finding out that it's not easy. God, I know that you will test our relationship with you with commitment. And I would ask you would help each of us to die daily. To commit completely to your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Our invitation song is really about commitment. And I want to encourage you as we stand that, that you sing out and you sing loud and you let that be your response, your pledge. In fact, there's even a line in the song, here in the death of Christ, I live. Sing it if you mean it. If we can help you to be more committed, won't you come, let's stand.